The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, Do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Today we remember those who have gone before us in the faith, those people who have been very important in our lives, touched our lives in a deep way, made a difference in who we are. We give thanks today for all of them. For me, it brings to mind a couple of questions. You know, what do I believe about death? What do we believe about death, about our growth in faith in this life and perhaps in the next? And often I think that, uh, especially on this day, I think about those who have died that were so close to me and just wonder about where they are and what life is like for them now. Growing up in the Methodist Church, I don't ever recall celebrating All Saints or All Saints Sunday. I don't think at that time it was a part of the church particularly. I think it is now, but it's more a time only of remembering And often uh, the way that we would pray for uh, at a funeral, for example, was praying for those left behind and giving thanks for those who were gone. Uh, The idea in our theology was that when you were dead, you were dead. And the next thing to happen would be the resurrection. We in the Methodist Church didn't pray for the dead. Now, one of the things I think that is very interesting about the Episcopal Church and the Anglican tradition is that we meld both Reformation and Catholic traditions together. And what often distinguishes the churches of the Reformation is not praying for those who have died. But we do. We pray for them. We give thanks for them. We pray for the repose of their souls. I think perhaps many of you uh, will remember uh, Father Martin Brokenleg, who uh, was here to preach at my institution. 
And Martin was, is a friend from college days. Uh, and I really didn't know anything about Native American tradition or about the culture until I got to know Martin. And one of the things that Martin talked about was the very common experience in, uh, among Native people of uh, having the relatives come for the person who is dying. And often the person dying would say, I see the relatives. And the relatives would be gathered around their bed. I have uh, wondered many times, you know, what that meant. And is that just something that Native Americans experience? And is it real? Well, years later, uh, just before I came to Trinity, uh, Martin's father, Noah, broken leg, uh, became very ill and died. And Noah was a beloved priest. Uh, he had been on the reservation, a Rosebud Reservation, uh, his, almost his entire ministry. And he was a man at that point in his late 70s, early 80s, I think, when he died. So Lou and I went out to Rosebud for the, for the uh, funeral. And uh, it was held in a, in a gymnasium. The gymnasium was packed with people. And then after the funeral, we talked with Martin. And Martin said, you know, I was with dad when he died. And just before he died, he said to me, the relatives have come for me. I envy that. I thought how wonderful it is that they could have that sense of the presence of the cloud of saints that we believe surround us. Every celebration of the Eucharist, every time you pray, we believe we're surrounded by the saints. We're surrounded by all those we love and have gone before us. And that in some way, the church triumphant, those who've gone on before, are still praying and present with God in a way that we can't be in this life. But we remember them. We give thanks for them. Well, I, I envy that kind of, a, of an understanding of the presence of the saints, and I, it's not often that I have that myself. But I think that coming back to this question of what do we believe about death and what do we believe about the afterlife, I would encourage you, if you have the time, take a prayer book and uh, read through the prayers in burial office, right one, and also in right two. And that will give you a sense of our theology, because, you know, as Episcopalians, we say, if you want to know what we believe, come and pray with us. Come and open the Book of Common Prayer with us, because that embodies our theology. Well, from that uh, burial office, right one, I found uh, these words from one of the prayers that I think can open up uh, this passage that we have from Luke today. It's, it goes like this. Almighty and everlasting God. We yield unto thee most high praise and hearty thanks for the wonderful grace and virtue declared in all thy saints who have been the choice vessels of thy grace and the lights of the world in their several generations. Most humbly beseeching thee to give us grace so to follow the example of their steadfastness in thy faith and obedience to thy holy commandments. And that leads me to wonder, how do we become precious vessels of God's grace? How do we become lights in the world in our generation? This gospel that we have this morning is a challenging one. Uh, there are words in it that are reassuring, but there are also some very uncomfortable words in it. 
the scene uh, is set by the gospel writer in the preceding uh, three verses. It goes like this. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all of the people were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. This is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. And it, I think we often think of these uh, situations that Jesus is in as very uh, pristine things, you know, very pastoral. And this wonderful plain that he's standing on with his disciples. When in fact, it was probably chaos. Because there were, sure, the twelve, but there were also other followers of Jesus. But the multitude were all of those who were coming out because they wanted to be healed. They wanted to be delivered of, of the evil spirits. And they wanted to touch Jesus because they knew if they touched him, that power would come from him to heal them. This uh, particular uh, set of the Beatitudes is quite different from that that we read in Matthew. Uh, this one begins with Jesus reassuring them that, you know, if you're hungry, you're going to be filled. If you are poor, you will be given things. You're going to not be poor forever. If you're mourning and are crying and weeping, there will be a time of joy and laughter. But in Matthew, what we hear are these, these beatitudes that are spiritualized. And it's more a matter of poor in spirit and hunger and thirsting for righteousness sake. And that's not what Luke describes Jesus saying. Jesus seems to be addressing real human need in the present. And often I think we avoid that ourselves. It's much easier to, to spiritualize some of these things and avoid having to deal with the reality of hunger, of poverty, of people who are really suffering because of their mourning, because of what's happened in their lives that have taken away hope and given them only despair. Uh, we live in, a, in communities, Concord and the surrounding communities, that, that uh, protect us, it seems, from seeing those who are truly in need. I sometimes find it hard to believe that in this country, the richest country in the world, there are nearly 50 million people who live in poverty. Imagine that. 50 million people. And what's perhaps even more shocking is that there are 16 million children who live in households who struggle to put food on the table. That's one out of five children. That's hard to believe. How could we allow that? How could we live in a country that allows one in five kids to worry about whether or not they're going to get a meal. But we sometimes don't see the reality of poverty, of hunger, and of those who are in despair. And I think Jesus is calling us to, to look at that and do something about it. Well, then he goes on, and this is, the, this is, this is really the best part of the whole thing. Uh, we get the woes. And I say we because we're the ones who have full stomachs and we in a world that, you know, is uh, relatively in poverty. We are rich, all of us probably. And we, too, laugh 
and enjoy life and find enjoyment in it. I don't think that Jesus is condemning uh, riches. I don't think he's condemning people uh, acquiring wealth. But I believe what he is doing is calling our attention to the fact that we can't rely on that. Our stomachs are full, but will they always be full? And we're laughing, enjoying life. We know that each one of us at some point in this life will mourn and weep. That's a part of life. And Jesus seems to be saying that don't rest on your laurels. Don't believe that just because you have everything you need right now, that you'll have that forever. You, too, may be poor. I I don't know if any of you heard uh, some of the accounts over this past week of uh, people who are losing their food stamps. But another person, I heard an account of of a guy who had been a software engineer, I think, with an aerospace company, had a had a terrible health problem. And as a result of that, lost his job and now is living in a in a room in a house with a few hundred dollars a month to live on. And for a while he lived on the street. We don't realize, I don't think, that our lives can change in an instant. We can be satisfied and comfortable today, but something can happen tomorrow that will change it forever. I think of our own bishop who now has been diagnosed and is being treated for brain cancer, who is looking forward to his retirement and now has to deal with all of these health issues and the insecurity and uncertainty of life in retirement. I believe Jesus is reminding us that just because everything seems really good right now, we must rely on God, not upon ourselves. And perhaps even more than that, when we do have these good things, that we must see the need in front of us and respond to it. One of the things that I think we are often in need of being reminded of is that when we are baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when a a child or an adult is baptized, the priest marks the forehead of that person with oil and says, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. I think those are the most powerful words in, in the entire Book of Common Prayer. To hear that I am marked as Christ's own forever. We have been given God's grace freely, and God has accepted us and loves us unconditionally. And it's a wonderful thing. And we need to be reminded, especially perhaps on All Saints Sunday, that we are saints, imperfect as we are. We are the saints of God. But there's another aspect to sainthood. A part of it is the need for us to respond to this wonderful grace that's been poured out upon us and to this love that God has given us. I believe that part of our responsibility is to live into our sainthood, to not just see Jesus only as the one who saves, but to see him also as the one who challenges and calls us to sacrifice and to service. I believe that the saints are transformed by their service. Saints are shaped by living into their sainthood, by seeing the need in front of them and acting on it. Saints are formed in a life that is an adventure of faith 
And through that adventure of faith, we are changed. Saints, I believe, make a difference. Saints transform the world around them and the ones in the lives of the ones that they love. So I think the challenge for us today, coming from this gospel, is to see that and acknowledge that we are indeed the saints of God. And we recall those who have gone before us whose lives were perhaps not perfect in any way, but people trying to live faithfully as best they knew how. And then to remember that we must live into our sainthood. We must act. We must do things that extend Christ's love into the world around us and transform it. And so this All Saints Sunday, let us give thanks for all of those that we love but see no longer. And let us grow into our sainthood. Amen.